Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number four of Like Father, Like Son, Like Movies. I am Sam Feldstein, the titular son, and with me, as always, is my co-host and father, Stuart. Hi. Hey. Did you say this was a podcast? <laughs> as in pod people, you're making a joke. I am making a joke. I get it. Um, so... Just before we get into anything else, we probably should point out that if you listened to last episode, we did say at the end that we were going to do Kwaidan. We did Kwaidan. I picked High Plains Drifter to go with it. We watched that. The episode recording did not turn out so good. And instead of re-recording the whole thing, we just decided to do a new movie. So that's what we did. Hence the um, Night of the Living Dead instead of Kwaidan. The way this podcast works, um, just in a nutshell, is one of us picks a movie. Uh, that either we'd like to revisit or we would like the other one to see, or both. And then the other person picks a movie in response that they think makes a nice double feature. And then we come on the show and we talk about the two in conjunction. So that's how the show works in a nutshell. Um, But before we get into the discussion, Dad, do you want to tell me what you've been watching lately? Sure. Well, I watched Quaidan and High Plains Drifter. Yes. (laughs) How were those experiences for you? (laughs) Well, very dissatisfying because we had a lot to say. And unfortunately, this good audience won't be able to hear it because of our technical problems. But anyway. Maybe we can come back to it in the future. Uh, you know, when enough time has passed, we're feeling like it's fresh again. Maybe we can revisit one or the other. Yeah, maybe next Halloween. But I do think people should check out Quaidan if they haven't seen it. It's worth seeing. So I'll just put in that plug right right there. But, uh, you know, in a kind of connection with uh, the topic that we're going to get into here, I decided to watch... A zombie movie, I guess you'd call it a zombie movie, but one that I hadn't seen, but I had seen the precursor to, and that was called One Cut of the Dead. Oh, yeah. Uh, It's a wonderful film, and the filmmakers uh, of that film made a follow-up called One Cut of the Dead in Hollywood. Very short, less than an hour, kind of the same concept, just as charming as the original, and so I I watched that... uh, to have um, a little bit of a of a different zombie experience. But I highly recommend One Cut of the Dead for people who haven't seen it. It's possible to read too much about it. <laughs> Go into it cold if you can, because it's quite the experience and, uh, and very, very fun. That was pretty good. We're back. <laughs> uh, I think I clapped like way before you. No, I think they were <laughs> like right on. It was perfect. But we're back. Okay. After more technical difficulties, but we're back, we're back. and we're going to get through we'll, this. Someday we'll figure this out. Night. If anybody has thoughts on how, what the best way to talk through a computer is, we're using FaceTime. We were using Zoom, but our time ran out. And I don't have the paid version. Anyway, I hate technology. Dad, <laughs> why did you pick this movie? <laughs> Because it's got no technology in it. Uh, no, <laughs> yes. I picked this movie because Sam, I didn't think you'd ever seen it, which um, is correct. And I don't, I don't know if you remember, but I don't, and I don't even remember how old you were. But remember when we were trying to pick movies, and I would always, and you would always say, "What movie should we watch?" And I would always say, "Night of the Living Dead." And then you and your <laughs> siblings would say, "No," and I'd say, "Okay, how about Dawn of the Dead?" And you'd say, "No," and I'd say, "How about Day of the Dead?" They say, you'd say, "No," and I'd say, "Evil Dead," and you'd say, "No," and I'd say, "Evil Dead too." Uh, and I would say no again. Again, no. But uh, uh, I do remember that very vaguely now that you uh, resurrected that memory. <laughs> but uh, the upshot was we never watched the Night of the Living Dead. So uh, right, and it's such a seminal well, horror film. It's a seminal horror film. It's a seminal zombie film. It's something that you should uh, see in in your uh, journey through cinema. So that's why I picked right. it. Yeah, it's uh, not the first zombie film in America, but it is sort of considered the genesis of the modern zombie movie, right? Yeah. Uh, I think you could trace every zombie film that's been made since that time to Night of the Living Dead. Very similar depictions of zombies and the worlds and themes as well. Yeah. So there's some things we could talk about there, but then you paired it with something else. Yes. So the movie that I picked upon watching Night of the Living Dead was Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978. And I know uh, exactly why you picked it. Oh, well, well to do enlighten me. It's a five letter title. I mean, a five word title. A five word title. Containing the words yes. of and the. Yes. It was blank of the blank. And that was why I picked this movie. <laughs> no, it was blank yes. of the blank blank. And because it was released exactly. Oh, yes. Yes, you're right. And it was released exactly 10 years later, 1978. 
Night of Living Dead is 1968. <laughs> so there was also that symmetry. Yeah. We're going for totally superficial, superficiality in our pairings. That's what we're doing. <laughs> but um, the IMDb Spark Notes, because I always find this stuff kind of, I don't know why, I just find it like vaguely interesting, like who distributed all this stuff. So I'll just go over it really briefly. Invasion of Body Snatchers, 78. It's uh, distributed by United Artists based on the Body Snatchers by Jack Finney. Are you familiar with Jack Finney? Slash that book? Uh, I have not read the book. I knew that it was based on a book by him. I have read other things by Jack Finney. Okay. So you're familiar with the author. I'm not. Not really at all. Didn't really know who he was. Directed by Philip Kaufman, who also did the right stuff, among other things. Yeah, uh, Written by W.D. Richter. Yes. Big Trouble in Little China. And Slither. We love Slither. We love Slither. That's a movie I've seen. Shot by Michael Chapman. He did lots of great stuff. Starring Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams. First time I saw this movie, I was probably in high school. I want to say that you showed this to me as a horror movie that wasn't super scary. Mm. Which I understand why you did that. But I will say that none of this movie stuck with me Except the last scene, the last shot, which scared the shit out of me. <laughs> I just say, if I was picking this because it's not that scary, it's I was uh, off my rocker because this movie yeah. is pretty scary. I mean, it is, but it's more of a paranoid thriller than a horror movie for a lot of it. Yeah, you're right. There's there's horror elements to it, but it's mostly a paranoia movie. Yeah, so you're right. It's uh, it's a worthy um, you know entry in the in the '70s paranoid thrillers uh, library. Yeah, so I understand why. And again, this could be a, a recovered memory for all I know. But I understand why you might have said that because it's not super gory. There's not jump scares in it. It's just a big old rubber band attention the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine saying, oh, this this won't scare you too bad. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, if I was in high school, if I was in high, you know, if I was 16 or whatever, but, you know, I've been a baby about horror movies my whole life, so, you know, the bar is low, I guess. The reason I picked it was because it just struck me that pod people are sort of just another kind of zombie. You yeah. could say this is its own kind of zombie film in a way a lot of the essential elements are the same there's differences which we can get into later but i thought it was they were very similar in the situations they were dealing with and yet they were also not at all the same situations so uh i thought that made an interesting uh, you know would make for an interesting discussion yeah after after watching rewatching it i you know came to the conclusion quickly it was a perfect pairing i mean it's those, yeah. these, these two movies are in conversation with one another, for sure. Well, well, well. So uh, I did uh, decide that at the end of these, if we want to, it might be fun to do just a quick little, like, write my pairing kind of a thing. But it sounds like the... the, the um the jury's in on that one. It sounds like I'm going to uh, get the top rating. You get the top rating, but I do have an alternate that wouldn't, you know, people could uh, That's consider another thing. as well. I was going to, uh, I wanted us to do an alt- honorable mentions section, and I have several. Okay. I have. I, I picked one in particular, but. I, we can do those at the end. Okay, cool. Let's get into it. Um, do you have a topic in particular that you want to start with, or do I have points outlined sort of if you want to yeah, do let's, that? Or, yeah, go ahead and, and go through your points. Okay. Well, I just thought we could, we have um, just kind of broad categories where we could uh, cross-examine these films. So we can start with the production, maybe? So the uh, Night of the Living Dead is obviously a very... I guess going in, I didn't realize how much of a, um independent movie it was. For some reason, I was thinking it was uh, a studio picture, but it's not. Um, so he shot it on, uh, I guess, around $100,000, which I think I read was something like 800000 in today's money. He formed his own little production company to do it. He got investors. Uh, so it's a very like guerrilla style, you know, everybody does everything kind of a movie. And uh, that definitely shows, but in, you know, in a way that has charm and I don't know. You can just tell that um, everybody is there because they're they're just trying to make a movie, and none of them have really done this before, and it's kind of rough around the edges, but it's fun. If you go to the uh, if you watch the Criterion disc version and check out some of the special features, there's an interview with several of the extras that you know uh, acted as zombies, and they mm-hmm. uh, talk about their experiences being being asked to be in the movie. So that's kind of fun to listen to. But yeah, this is definitely a DIY kind of an effort. Right, right. That's the term I was looking for. Yeah. It shows especially in, I think it shows in a lot of the dialogue, which I read was um, largely improvised. And then the action can be very, (laughs) the action of this movie can be very, a lot of it's really slow and exaggerated. And I don't know if that was deliberate or it's because they didn't have professional stunt coordinators, but it almost looks like those old, 
the Universal Monsters pictures, you know, where, again, the movements are, like, kind of really big, and it's more like a stagey kind of an action. You're talking about... Look, are you talking, talking about, about how the, the zombies move? I'm talking about the... Mostly the action scenes where they're... when Whenever anybody's grappling with anybody else, whenever there's, like, a hand-to-hand kind of a thing. It didn't... It was almost kind of goofy in that way, but I don't think that was necessarily deliberate, although I did read that the original script was a comedy. Did you know that? No. <laughs> yeah. No, I did not know that. The, so this is from Wikipedia, so, you know, who knows? But I read that the early, early, early draft, which I don't think resembled this movie at all, was a horror comedy. So maybe some of that coming through, or not. Maybe it's just, you know, no stunt coordinator and et cetera and so forth. But it plays as charming these days, but I think at the time, probably more convincing than I'm giving it credit for. I don't think anybody's don't ever used the adjective charming to describe this movie. It's uh, it's kind of gross. I mean, there's there's viscera yeah, being gross. consumed in this movie. Well, that um, so that's the grossest part of the movie. But overall, it's not that gross of a movie. There's some moments, but on the whole, it's more of a more one of the more palatable zombie movies. I think. Now, when you were kids, you used to hate watching black and white movies. What do you think about the black and white? Do you think that that's is is that something you still don't prefer, or do you think it works here? No, I mean, uh, now I just see it as a product of either the movie's time or the resources or the artistic decision or, or some combination thereof. But yeah, I mean, I think that's common for kids to not like black and white movies. They don't see them as as relevant or something. Not even um, ki- not even just kids. Well, sure. I mean, I take it for what it is now. I think that's my attitude. So I don't know if that was probably, I would imagine, a creative dis- or a um, budget uh, constraint is what I would guess. Yep. In fact... Okay, true confessions. I didn't rewatch this movie for this podcast because what? I <laughs> I recently just saw it, so I just was going off of my memory oh mostly. Oh my god! I but I had re, I really just I I re, watched it recently, but I it was still very uh, much in my brain. So I decided to instead, um, you know, do a lot of like you've like you've done reading and watching these documentaries on the Criterion. But okay. um, but yeah, in one of those documentaries, there was an interview with. Romero, uh, George Romero, the director, and he did say it was a budget issue. Yeah, um, that's that led, what I figured. That led to the choice of black and white. Mm-hmm. It's neat, though. And, I mean, that wasn't, that wouldn't have stood out at the time. There were still plenty of black and white movies set in 1968, right? Or maybe not. I think so, yeah. But I think it also has the impact that it has because it's black and white. I was listening to okay. a, a podcast discussion about it. The uh, guest on the podcast was talking about how there had been a colorized version that was released in, I don't know, years ago. And the reason they were able to do that is because did you read that Romero lost the copyright on the film? I read that it was not under copyright. I didn't read why. He said in his interview that he had placed the copyright mark in the wrong place on on whatever documentation uh, no they way. filed in order to get the copyright filed. And at the time, the movie was called Night of the Flesh Eaters. So the copyright applied to Night of the Flesh Eaters. Well, later it was the name of the film was changed to Night of the Living Dead, and he hadn't copyrighted that. So at a certain period of time, uh, his ability to protect his intellectual property ran out and everybody was able to reproduce and sell Night of the Living Dead. And uh, in a way, that's how you could say that you could, there's a case to be made that that's how zombies got to be so popular because everybody saw this movie because everybody was able to release this movie. And um, uh, one such purveyor of uh, video goodies uh, colorized it, decided to release a color version. And this uh, podcast guest said he had watched it and uh, it just makes, makes no impact um, um, but when you when you go back to the the black and white version, then wow, it it, it just kind of packs a wall up with the the, sh- the shadows and the, the suggestion of gore. Yeah, it makes a huge difference if you're shooting a film to be in black and white because yeah, your lighting's going to be way more exaggerated. And blood is always interesting in black and white because it looks black and very eerie. Yeah, that's always yeah. an interesting choice. Yeah, and I'm trying to remember what. Hitchcock said he used in Psycho they when the blood was syrup. going down the chocolate syrup. That's it. That's no. the famous example. You don't use red, you use something else, brown. Something darker. Yeah. I don't like colorized versions of black and white movies. I watched first, I think I was with a group. I don't, I don't think I would have picked this on my own, but we watched colorized It's a Wonderful Life and it just doesn't look right. Yeah. Didn't I care agree. for it. I agree. Anyway. It's uh, graffiti. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what are you it's, fixing? It's yeah. vandalism. I don't care about it. Yeah, that's which so we should call it. It's not colorizing anymore, but everybody, it's vandalism. All right. <laughs> <laughs> it's legal vandalism. Okay. Yeah. So overall, uh, yeah, I love the DIY, DIY kind of stuff. And some good um good some good special effects despite those constraints. The uh eating, the bar- zombie barbecue. Gross. Really <laughs> disgusting. <barbecue>. Yeah. <laughs> really, really disgusting. Gross. They must have used real meat for some of that because it looked very real and it was nasty. And these people were eating it. Uh, yeah, it's nasty. awful. I love that. Yeah, it's really awful. Yeah, yeah. Snatchers. But that was. Uh, I think that was really as uh, you know gory as films got uh, in the, the day. I think this really you know kind of changed the game in terms of you know what uh, people wanted to see when they yeah. went to the movies. The famous one is uh, Bonnie and Clyde, right? And this was only a year after that. That was like the most graphic movie of its time or whatever. And then after that, everybody was like, oh, we can do this. Yeah, that that did certainly raise violence in movies to a new level, but this was like unheard of seeing people uh, eat intestines on screen. The uh, production value of Body Snatchers, I'm sure the budget was much bigger for that movie, but I also love it. And atmosphere is huge in that movie because it relies less on action and more on, again, the paranoia that we already mentioned. So you can really see that. I love the way it really, it just feels like a 70s movie and I love the way those movies feel. They're like really gritty and they're kind of grimy, especially if they're set in a city. They're always grimy and they're dark and there's lots of shadows and this movie does that really well. I think the atmosphere is really well done. There's lots of uh, good lighting and and, uh, shadowy Mm -hmm. shots in in, uh, Body Snatchers too. Yes. And the uh, special effects in that, great. I didn't read who was the production designer or help design the uh the pod people i didn't read anything about that but that stuff was gross and awesome and uh big slimy baby big slimy baby (laughs) (laughs) but that uh, was that was what was going through your mind when you when you did this pairing that you know night of the living dead gross oh i know another gross movie uh invasion of the body no like i said it was more of like just oh these are zombies and these are kind of like zombies let's talk about those the grossness aspect was not uh, immediately relevant in my choice yeah i don't i I think they're in different planes in that respect body snatchers is fairly reserved in that regard there's not a ton of grossness going out that's not really what they're out to do it has it it's there but that's not what most of the movie is but i do love that scene where the pod is next to him and he's asleep and he's given it's given birth to the to the duplicates that is just so disgusting and then when he gives it an axe in the face Mm -hmm. cuts his own head off and that's really where the body snatchers are like hey come on (laughs) like (laughs) that's enough of that (laughs) that's really where stuff ramps up that's just a waste (laughs) they're like we were gonna play nice but now we're just gonna chase you through the dark that was pretty gory for a pg film you know that was before they had the pg-13 rating oh they just had g pg and r yeah and uh, this one was this was a pg film that was pretty gory uh for for pg there was there was also nudity in the film that was uh uh, you know kind of unusual for pg yeah that's wild yeah i forgot about that because i always remember that jaws is a a pg movie and i'm always like what that doesn't make any sense but i guess i didn't realize that pg-13 didn't come until later it didn't come till uh uh temple of doom temple of doom was the movie that uh, got everybody kind of screaming about there needed to be another rating between pg and r because all their kids went and saw a guy get his heart cut out exactly and they loved it they loved it and that was they're like no And then they gave it to a zombie and it ate it. That movie kind of freaked me out when I was a kid. Temple of Doom. I remember them clutching the beating heart. I was like, oh my God. Dad, do you want to talk about the heroes of these movies? Yeah. The protagonists. So um, I'm going to talk about Night of the Living Dead yes, first. please do. So in, in Night of the Living Dead... Um, uh, we open on a, a brother and sister visiting a, a relative's grave in a graveyard when uh, it becomes apparent that uh, all is not right in the world. And uh, the brother meets a fate that he probably deserves because he's teasing his sister mercilessly about, they're coming to get you, Barbara. He and then he, get, he gets his. That'll teach you. She goes running off, finds her way into this house where um, I guess the lead of the movie. Yeah, Dwayne Jones. Is, is hold up, Dwayne Jones. And uh, uh, everybody uh, would like to speak a lot about the racial component of this film. And I think it's important to talk about. But uh, Romero would say that the script did not call for a black man uh, to be the lead of this film. That was uh, just a happy coincidence because he uh, auditioned and he got the part. And it was not Romero's intent to comment on on race relations. But the movie does work as a commentary on race relations because of how the events play out. And he turns out to be the only kind of person in the house that 
that uh, keeps his head and, and knows how to get through this situation. Yes. My favorite thing about him is that he has no patience for anybody in this movie. <laughs> He's like, he wants to do the right thing. Like he wants to help people, but also he like, he can't stand the, uh, what's that dude's name? What's the bald guy's name? He also produced the movie. Is it Harry? It, yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of the actor's name, Carl Hardman. So he also produced the movie and he played Harry, the bald dickhead. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and Dwayne Jones just has no patience for him. I just love it. He's just, he's, he's so mad at him all the time. He's like, get your shit together, man. Yeah. I loved it. There aren't really any real likable characters in uh, Night of the Living Dead. I would say it's just, it's just him. And then you don't get to know, well, I don't know. I think uh, Keith Wayne plays Tom, kind of the young, the youngish guy. He's likable. He's all right. Uh, Marilyn Eastman is his girlfriend or wife. We don't really see much of her. She doesn't do much. The women don't have a lot to do. No. Harry's wife could be sympathetic if she had more to do, I think. She's also played as kind of cold. She doesn't show a lot of range in this movie and she doesn't get, she didn't get much development. Judith O'Day gets sidelined immediately. Well, she goes catatonic. Right. right. She goes kind of catatonic and then Dwayne Jones takes over the film, which uh, I always like a good, you don't see that much where another character just kind of becomes the main character after after the first, first you know, act or whatever. Yeah, she didn't have much to do, but I am glad that I understand that we're coming to get you Barbara reference now. That was something I'd been lacking in my cultural, personal cultural lexicon. Now you know where it comes from. But uh, I don't remember Dwayne Jones's character's name. That's Dwayne Jones's name of the actor. But uh, he spends quite a lot of time in the in the house just kind of being Bob Vila. He's just like boarding up windows and busting up furniture and making fires. And you could, you could you know, run this parts of this movie on PBS for, you know, how to survive a zombie <laughs> apocalypse. He's a doer. He's a real doer. Well, that's what I thought. That's one way I thought these movies were similar was because Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams kind of make up the, they're kind of equally the protagonists of um, Body Snatchers. And they are also very much like, and I guess you have, like, that's part of why they survive. But they're very, very actively like trying to do something about this situation they're in. It goes, in that movie, and well, both of them really, it goes a step beyond, you know, it's survival. It's like, well, we're going to figure out how to end this thing, even though it's, you know, you kind of understand even as they say that, that that's, it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen, but they try anyway. Yeah. They're very much, they're very active, active protagonists. They're not just running the whole time, even though there is a lot of running, they're also doing kind of detective work, especially at the end. There's quite a bit of running, quite a bit of running in that third act. Absolutely. But I do like, yeah, I do like all the detective work they do. Brooke Adams does a lot off screen, which I was a little bit disappointed by because she relays that whole sequence where she followed her boyfriend to see who he's meeting and he's meeting all these mysterious people. And I really, that was retold with images, but in flashback and voiceover. But I really wish that was its own sequence. I thought that would have been really exciting. Yeah, they're both, uh, you know, kind of uh, scientists. They're, you know, people with uh, intellect and they're trying to figure this thing out. Uh, there's a little bit more of that in Body Snatchers than there is in Night of the Living Dead, but it's really just about adrenaline and, you know, just trying to get, trying to get through this thing. Yeah. yeah, just trying to figure out what's happening and get through it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think of um, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams' Uh, as a duo. What do you think of them? Really good. I love good them. chemistry. I good chemistry. Good sparks. T- yeah, I thought they were great. Donald Sutherland takes his job. He's a health inspector. He takes his job very seriously. Oh, yeah. What do you think about that? One of my favorite lines. And and Body Snatchers, you know, it's it's creepy. It's dark. It's bleak. It's also pretty funny. There's some great dialogue in this film. And one of the things that he says early on when he's doing his health inspector stuff is when he finds the, the rat turd in the soup. Yes. And he, he asks to, to know what the ingredients are. And the, the the owner of the restaurant doesn't want to tell him. His line was, you don't have any secrets from the Department of Health, yes. Henri. <laughs> So, so serious. It reminded me of Monty Python. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. (laughs) Yeah, so self-serious. Yeah, what a geek. It's almost implied in that scene that they put the rat turds in there on purpose. That can't be. No, I don't (laughs) think that was implied. I think think they were just being careless about it. It's implied that they knew they were in there, though. It's almost played like, it's almost played like, oh, they knew he was going to find that. And they were hoping he wouldn't. That's how I read the scene. (laughs) But why would that be the case? I didn't think so. By the way, apropos of nothing, did you know? Notice Robert Duvall in the opening scene. Yes, and he's a creepy priest staring at a bunch of kids. <laughs> That's crazy. Cameo. Quite a cameo. Was that before? No, he was a star at the time, right? Yeah, no, he was already well known yeah. actor. So I think I think he and Philip Kaufman were uh, you know pals. They must have been. Just, There's no other way that he happens. just happened to be around that day, and uh, Kaufman put him up to it. He's probably just came to visit the set or something. It's like, hey, I've got a priest outfit. Put this. <laughs> that on. was pretty funny. 
I do like that opening scene where you see the aliens come down from whatever planet, and then the first thing that happens is a bunch of kids go and play with the flowers that they that the aliens just sprouted, and it's like, oh man, that is dark. Yeah. That's some dark stuff. Well, the teacher was probably a pod person, right? Like right out of the gate, oh, you see yeah. her That's saying, "Go, go get those flowers, kids." Yeah, um, yeah I didn't think uh, about that. I didn't think about yeah, that, but yeah, it's definitely valid, at, valid interpretation there. We were already after it. Yeah, it wastes no time. But yeah, no, you're right. There, because there's no way to uh, tell how much time passes between the, I guess, what we could call the prologue, where we see the aliens scooping it up on their planet, and then uh, yep. between when we cut to Earth. Yeah, you're right. There's no way to tell how long they've been there. That's a good point. Other than the fact that they still have yet to uh, replace most people. Right. And that was a big uh, point of, you know, this was a remake, right? The, I do um, know that. Yeah, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was originally filmed as a movie in the 50s, mm-hmm. and it was true to the story in, in that the this uh, action takes place in a small town. The major update that the 78 version made was to set it in San Francisco. I thought it was San Francisco. I was trying to figure that out. Yeah, Golden Gate Bridge was your first clue. Oh, when was that shown? In the beginning? At the very beginning. Yeah, I probably blinked and missed it. It, it works just as well uh, or, you know, even better in the big city as it does in a small town. No, no, yeah, I love it. Well, because the other thing, too, is there's so many people around and you just feel surrounded. It really contributes to the to the terror of being alone in a city, but you're not alone. You're surrounded by all these strangers. And you can't really tell. I mean, I think the direction in the film is so masterful because you just do not know from scene to scene if the person that you're seeing on screen is a pod person or yes. not. Yes, yeah. And that's throughout, you know, like I say, from the opening scene where the teacher with the children is encouraging them to pick flowers and Robert Duvall is swinging on a swing. He's obviously a pod person because... Because he's you know, staring. No, no priest would do that. Well, Come on. But, <laughs> well, or maybe they would <laughs> But um, but uh, you just never know, you know. Yeah. Uh, there's characters in every scene that you know look odd or do odd things or behaving weird. Are they? Aren't they? It's it's so well done. Yeah, this is a movie where you could go back and watch it and just make a game out of trying to find the pod people in every scene. Yeah, you could totally yeah. do that. That'd be fun. I I, no- I noticed so many things on the edges of the frame right. as I was watching this time right. around. And there's weird. There's um, people just standing with their arms at their sides, staring at the main characters, and it's fun. And there's I think there was one scene in the Department of Health where there's just a guy looking through a door window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, creepy. Dad, do you want to talk about the antagonists of these movies, these zombies and pod people, respectively? Yeah, so the antagonist in the two movies is the same, and that's why I think this pairing is absolutely perfect. Right, the same but different. Um, the same but different, but it's it's us, right? It's, our, it's ourselves, it's our next-door neighbors. It's you don't know that the person that you see every day isn't somehow become something that's going to destroy you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a little easier to tell at Night of Living Dead because they look like a zombie. Well, initially, uh, not so much because, you know, the Barbara and her brother, you know, just kind of stand there until the zombie comes up and tries to eat her. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. that is, yeah, you're right. But I think that is mostly due to it's the first time you're ever seeing that. And so you're going to, you know, you're not going to jump to that conclusion until right. you know what's going on. But after that, I think it's fairly self-evident. But yeah, when um, they're beating on your windows, <laughs> trying yeah, to get in. Yeah. And they've got, you know, like rotting face and they're walking without swinging their arms and all that kind of stuff. The that one um, woman doesn't have any clothes on. Yeah. What's up with that? She came out of the morgue. She just, Come she on. just left the morgue, man. Yeah. There, that's one thing that's a little bit different about Night of the Living Dead. The zombies have um, a little more motor function. They can like try to open car doors and they know to try to open car doors and smash windows and they use weapons and stuff like that. So that's kind of a, in modern incarnation would depart from that. The zombies wouldn't do that these days. How do you like that? depiction of zombies versus how it's evolved over the years into more, you know, rotting, you know, flesh or more, you know, sometimes there's fast zombies. I mean, how do you, how do you like this? Yeah, depiction? there's definitely a lot of different, um, there's a lot of different depictions. These, these were, yeah, good. I mean, they're not that different from modern iterations, just less rotting. Like you said, um, again, I think that was kind of a budget constraint. They couldn't afford to do that many special effects. So they, I think I read this somewhere they justified it by saying that it's only the recently dead that are coming back to life instead of people climbing out of their graves and stuff like that so but yeah they're not they're not terribly different but it was the uh first zombie that we see in the cemetery reminded me a lot more of frankenstein than of modern zombies yeah because the shambolic uh kind of movements. shambolic that's fun to say shambolic I, say it with us everybody say it. Shamb- <laughs> <laughs> uh 
uh, but yeah, he's he uh, yeah he's lurching around and he's swinging his arms and he's very tall, so that helps contribute to that. I think he I think he looked to Frankenstein as inspiration. Now that I'm thinking about it, pod yeah. people have a little more motor function, don't they? I mean, sorry, not motor not motor function, higher function. They have all the functions. They, they just do. don't have any emotions. It, well, right? yeah, I was mm-hmm. gonna say except emotions. Yes, everything they, but that. They can do everything. Everything but that. So you know, it, it just kind of makes you kind of question what what these guys you know deal is because you know they take over the city at the end we obviously we've already been spoiling these movies and we've said it in previous episodes we should have said it earlier in this episode everything's getting spoiled yeah, that's but just what this podcast is yeah we can just proceed this is all all spoilers but at the end of the movie you know they're kind of going about life and he's you know showing up to his job at the department of mm-hmm. health and they're running tests and stuff what the hell are they doing not a lot has changed uh, <laughs> they're I guess, but but in service of what? Yeah, that's uh, a great question. It's just, I also are they just taking up their time or what? I, I don't. I understand also wrote that down. They're supposed to be doing. What do the pod people want? I wrote that question down. Yeah, it's not something that I don't. They don't seem to care to explain it too much. They hint at it. Uh, Leonard Nimoy makes a comment about how it, once everyone's the same, there'll be peace, and that's by this time is kind of a trope. Like we understand, we understand that villain, the person who wants to turn everybody into the same, so that nobody will fight anymore. And that's been, you know, that's a tried and true kind of a villain's motive. But it's hard to imagine why these aliens come to Earth to do that, and maybe they're fleeing their own planet. Maybe they're learning. Maybe they made mistakes in the past and this is their solution or something like that. You know, maybe they destroyed their own civilization and now they're they're getting a fresh start on Earth by doing this. I have no idea. It seems to imply that if everyone was the same, there would be peace. But by the same token, individualism is antithetical to peace. I would have liked to have seen Sutherland go back to the restaurant where Henri was making soup and just see what happened. Yeah. <laughs> you know, is, he still giving him a, is he still giving him a hard time about the soup yeah, or right. yeah. are they post- are they post rettered uh, kind of existence? I bet. Right now? I bet he keeps a very clean restaurant now because I don't think this is the kind of society. That, I don't think the pod people society is the kind of place where you step out of line. Literally, it's not even clear if they eat soup. Oh yeah, maybe they don't eat anything. No, I don't know. So they just shouldn't even need mm-hmm. a Department of Health. But they're there running tests. Uh, any sense know. at all? It doesn't. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe this is one of those things you're not supposed to think about. Hey, here's a question. Here's something you know, I do want us to think about, though. I want to ask you: okay. Would you rather zombies or pod people? Uh, pod people really yeah no way yeah. are you serious yeah you're right zombies zombies because well ro- these zombies romero zombies because you can run away you can pretty, run away they're not very strong you can kill them yeah no way pod i would take zombies 10 times out of 10 no way i'm dealing with those pod people they're gross and they smell though they aren't gross but at least that lets you tell them apart from regular people as opposed to pod people you don't know who's who you you convinced me zombies is correct the depictions of disaster in this movie so first of all similarity they're both caused by shit from outer space in night of the living dead it's radiation that was attached to a satellite however that worked yeah so there was some reference on a radio broadcast about that right right and it caused a mutation and people started coming back to life and then in uh, snatchers it's aliens mm-hmm. so we got stuff from outer space yeah. but night of the living dead is more like a classic disaster movie there's like emergency broadcasts and people are cut off from the world and um, you know you're trying to figure out what's going on but body snatchers is kind of to me it's scarier because it's um, a more sinister it's like a quiet crisis and it just unfolds yeah. invisibly. And unless you're looking for the signs, you don't see them because they're not that obvious. Yeah, that's a good point. The, the you know, one of the things that struck me this time was how the signs of the creeping invasion are right in front of people's eyes and they just fail to see it. Right. Like the garbage trucks. The right? garbage trucks are the most common one, I think. And then the people, I mean, you say they fail to see it, but Brooke Adams is the one who she notices it like pretty soon. Well, people know that their, their partners or spouses are behaving weird, but they don't see these garbage trucks trucks running around with these weird gray wispy husks that they're you know compacting right. there's a scene where Brooke Adams is late for work and there's a bunch of people running in the other direction she doesn't notice them at all right. I mean there's just a lot of these kinds of scenes where the signs are there but people don't pick up yeah on which I love I love that kind of uh, again letting it unfold quietly I, I'm, I love that I think it works so well it's very effective it's very effective and it's a it's a good commentary in terms of you know we need to be more aware of what's going on around us here's an interesting quote I got this from Wikipedia from George Romero so here's the quote mm-hmm. uh, the movie is about how people respond 
respond or fail to respond to the crisis. That's really all the zombies ever represented to me. In I Am Legend, which is, um, he notes that he was inspired by I Am Legend. Uh, In I Am Legend, that's what I thought the book was about. There's this global change, and there's one guy holding out saying, wait a minute, I'm still human. He's wrong. Go ahead, join them. You'll live forever. In a certain sense, he's wrong. But on the other hand, you've got to respect him for taking that position. So I thought that was an illuminating quote uh, because to me that makes, for one, that's a fun interpretation. That's a fun way to watch or read I Am Legend and say like, dude, just like, just give in, like, just leave the house. That's kind of hilarious to me. But the other thing is I thought that that way of viewing things applies actually more to Invasion of the Body Snatchers than it does Night of the Living Dead, because becoming a zombie is far less appealing than becoming a pod person, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it's more painful. Yeah. Again, we're, we're talking about a film that was made in the 70s. You know, we're talking post Watergate. So, you know, there's people that, you know, just have a high degree of mistrust of uh, their government and their elected leaders. And, um, you know, who are these people that, you know, want me to be like them? So uh, I think there's political commentary in both these films. Political commentary. And um, there's some kind of a theme there about how it really is or would be easier to just kind of stop thinking stop making decisions just conform you know just do what everybody else there there is a side to that that is appealing because it's it's frankly easier the other thing was in a more um visceral sense in this movie in body snatchers i at one point realized that i wanted the characters to just give up because it just looks so bleak and the other people are very convincing when they try to tell them that like look it's you know, we're kind of, we're kind of hanging out. Like it's better this way. So there was a part of me that was like, just, just give up. Like, wh- like why, why do that? So I just thought why are you fighting? that was kind of a, yeah, I don't know. Me and George Romero were on the same page somewhere. Well, particularly when Donald Sutherland at the end is all by himself and after they get caught and then they get uh, injected with a sedative then they are able to escape and they meet their friend um, played by Veronica Cartwright and they're on the run again, there's three of them, and three of them can survive because one of them can stay awake while the other two sleep. Because if they go to sleep, the game's over, right? Then they get separated, and now there's two of them. And then he goes, checks something out, he comes back, and Brooke Adams has fallen asleep. So now he's by himself, and how can you survive in that condition? Yeah, the, how do the you, movie uh, sure answers that. How do you keep fighting? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, love, I love that scene where Amazing Grace starts to play and he runs to the ships. I thought that was just marvelous. Yeah, but but again, just like, what a letdown. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, I don't know what he thought was going to happen. Um, before we talk about endings, Dad, is there anything else you want to cover? Veronica Cartwright. Um, gosh, she's so good here. Yes. People may remember her from Alien. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was one of the crew members in Alien. Right. I knew I'd seen yeah. her somewhere. Yeah, I didn't look at her IMDb. Yeah, but, but here, I just think she's fantastic. She is. Yeah, she's um, great. She's kind of an emotional, um, I don't know. She's she's an emo- one of the emotional cores of the movie just because her performance is so just kind of heartbreaking. There's there's a lot to say, but there's not enough time. Um, I guess the last thing I'll mention is, you know, were you were you on board for the uh, the dog with the human face? Oh, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Give me more dogs. <laughs> Give me more dogs with human faces. You know what I would have liked more, though? How I look for though? It would have been a, a dog with a human butt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somehow the pod just said, I'm going for the face. I, I don't know what you to do here, but I guess yeah. I'm just taking the face, yeah. I guess. For a human, oh, human with so a dog face, they could have gone that route. For me, it was a bridge too far. That was just a little, a little bit odd. Really? But, um, it was also, but there was nothing before that point to imply that anything like that could happen yeah you know it's pretty wild so. but the best part about it was it made uh, donald sutherland punch an old lady so that was <laughs> yes <good. laughs> we love that don't we love an old lady getting punched in the face <laughs> by donald sutherland <laughs> Real quick, do you want to talk about the endings? Because one thing I forgot to mention was that the the second major reason that I picked this movie to go with Night of the Living Dead was that it also, like Night of the Living Dead, has a bummer ending. So I want to talk about bummer endings. Okay. Um, first of all, Night of the Living Dead, I fucking knew he was going to get shot. I knew that. I saw it coming <laughs> like three miles yeah. away. 
I was like, no, don't go right. to the window. Don't do that. So it didn't play because he hears like he hears the sounds, he hears gunshots. He knows there's people out there. It makes no sense that he didn't call out. So I found it a little like hard to believe. Didn't buy it. And that's why you maybe take uh, Ramirez, you know, protest that he's not got race relations on his mind as, with a grain of salt because it just seems impossible to not you know consider that in the context of that final scene yeah i think totally yeah there's no way to tell if they can even they just see a shape through a window it's not like they can see him very clearly but yeah i think there's room to interpret there for sure i don't know if there were any of the lawmen that were not white but uh i don't think so no well i don't think anybody i think dwayne jones is the only black guy in this movie i don't think anybody Mm -hmm. else so yeah that's it's interesting to look at that when you know in the context of the time and and today yeah the ending of body snatcher uh, one of the great endings, I think. You know, I, I watched the movie and I saw that final scene and those goosebumps, you know, just yes. raise on my arms and my neck right away. Mm-hmm. And then I was watching some more of the, you know, disc, uh, you know, uh, special features and they would replay that scene. And I get those goosebumps again. I mean, that is just such a eerie, it's eerie, so eerie ending to a movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's one of the great endings. And yeah, like I said, as a kid, that that scared the shit out of me. That was like, that's one of the major, major scenes I remember from being a kid. The uh, backtracking slightly, he's going back to work after, we don't quite know he's a pod person, but he is. He goes back to work and he's still watching Brooke Adams, which I thought was interesting. And I was wondering if that was just a misdirect to imply that he isn't a pod person and that he's keeping an eye on her, or is it implying that a little bit of his feelings for her survived the the duplication process. Oh, interesting. I thought read. it could be either um, one. He was also still cutting things out of newspapers. I mean what again, what the hell? I mean what's what is going on with these pod people? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. What's their what's their agenda? Um, yeah, you what are you doing with these newspaper clippings? Yeah. I mean I, I don't know, yeah. but anyway. I don't think there's any answer to it. I don't think there's any definitive answer, conclusion you can draw, but I just thought it was interesting that you could interpret it that way if you wanted to. But then, of course, he goes outside and Veronica um, Cartwright is there and uh, he you know, clearly doesn't recognize her. He, he calls her out as a, pod, as, a pod, as a non-pod person. So I think, her I think reaction mainly, is just, just fantastic. Yeah, I think mainly, yes, her reaction is fantastic where she just, he just loses it. Yeah, which is, of course, is what you would do. I, I, I just think she's a fantastic actress. She's good in everything I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. That's the bulk of the discussion, unless there's anything else you want to cover. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, what is your favorite zombie film? Favorite zombie film ever? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a unique answer, but um, probably Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, too easy. Uh, well, that's what I that's what I meant. It's, a, it's an easy pick, but it's a good one. I, I would pick Evil Dead too. I think. Oh, okay, I wasn't even really considering that because it's more of a demonic film. But yeah, they're they're undead for sure. Well, I guess yeah. It, then it gets into issues of what's a zombie. But anyway, yes, it does. But Evil Dead Two is great. I'm I would rank that right up there with Shaun of the Dead actually. Yeah, great. And then uh, you were said you had a uh, idea around uh, honorable mentions so i had some short segments planned out i thought it'd be fun just some rapid fire kind of a stuff i thought we could do like a little i calling it the highlight reel where we uh, just briefly mentioned okay. some of our favorite scenes from the movie so night living dead when keith wayne the youngish kid character when he <laughs> when they go outside to get the gas and he just spray, <laughs> he just sprays the truck with gasoline <laughs> <laughs> it silly lights on fire. Oh my god. That it blows I mean it's up. not funny, but that I thought that was so hilarious. I was just like, oh that could not that's, have gone more wrong. And then and thence the Darwin Awards were born. Yes, the Darwin Awards were born. And then the zombies all had a nice barbecue. Oh boy. They probably don't like it cooked so much though. Yeah, I wonder. And then the other one is um the kid, the little girl, Kyra Shone is her name, troweling her mother to death. Great. Oh Great boy. stuff. Love it. Yeah, that, <laughs> nightmare fodder. Yeah, that's probably the scariest part of the movie. Anything else you want to mention from night? Any other highlight? The interview with the uh, policeman who says, they're dead. They're all messed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, just listen pretty funny line there's not a lot of humor in the movie but uh that's a pretty choice line yes so he's in my shout outs because i found him uh Really compelling, considering how little screen time he had. His name is George Kasana as the sheriff. Loved him. Had a lot of fun with him. Uh, Body Snatchers. The legs chase sequence. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you just see the legs? Oh, yes. Uh, 
That was great. Yep. They're walking a little faster and then they're walking a little faster mm-hmm. and then they're walking a little faster and then, and then they, they start, start running, running and mm-hmm. then they start screaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Loved it. My other favorite scenes we already talked about the boats, the running to the boat scene with amazing grace and the last scene. My, uh, I think my, uh, favorite parts of the movie all have to do with dialogue. And that's when I was just kind of really focused on, mm-hmm. uh, how funny the film was. Mm-hmm. But, um, when, uh, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams are having dinner at his house and he, uh, suggests she go see Lynn or Demoy, and uh, she doesn't want to go see him. He doesn't want to go see a psychologist, and he says, "Well, no, he'll just help you put it in perspective to see whether he's having an affair, whether he turned gay, whether he has a social <laughs> disease, whether he, whether he became a Republican." <laughs> uh, great line talking about her her husband who's acting weird. Yeah, when the body shows up in the mud baths, and Veronica Cartwright says, "Don't touch it. You don't know where it's been." Yes. Um, when uh, later in Donald Sutherland's house again, uh, they're discussing where these things came from and Veronica Cartwright uh, figures out or intuits that they're from outer space and she says you know why do we always expect metal ships yeah and Jeff Jeff Goldblum says I never expected <laughs> metal ships <laughs> which uh, just great lines in this movie very good lines and that's also a lot of fun that he then later starred in Independence Day oh yeah absolutely where he did expect metal ships and then a lot of ref, a lot of homage to the 1950 version. I don't know if you were aware of that, but mm-hmm. um, when uh, Donald Sutherland and Brooke Adams are in a car and a guy jumps on their window and says, you're next, you're next. That guy was Kevin McCarthy. He was the star of the 1950s movie. Mm, yeah. I love that. I love yeah. cameo. And it's kind of a, a repeat of, uh, of the line that he had in that, at the end of that movie. And... Um, also, the director of the 1950 movie was the cab driver in the 1978 uh, movie. Okay. Those are some fun facts, which works well with my next section, which is fun facts. I actually, <laughs> um, it's good that you said those because it appears that I forgot to do any for Body Snatchers, but I have a few for Night. Um, I figure we should pay homage, okay. homage to the origins of the term zombie, which I think is fairly popular, fairly popular knowledge, but we could cover it anyway. It comes from Haitian folklore. Uh, where a zombie, uh, no E, Z-O-M-B-I in French Haitian, is a corpse reanimated by magic, such as voodoo. Um, But Romero, at least in the movie, I don't know if they were thinking about it um, off camera, but in the movie they refer to them as ghouls, as flesh-eating ghouls. So that's a little um, different. But in a lot of zombie movies, I think it's a trope by this time, that in zombie movies the characters never call them zombies. And they point that out in Zombieland. Hmm. They make, they make note of that, I think. But yeah. in modern zombie movies, the characters never seem to know, have any conception of what a zombie is, which is kind of funny. That is funny. So when was the association between this sort of character and the word zombie, uh, when did that first happen? That's a good question, and I don't know the answer. We'll have to figure that out. At some point, out. somebody started calling them zombies. But, listeners, I mean, listeners, <laughs> please, write in, write let in, us know. Write in, tell us. Yeah, but I mean, reanimated corpse... It doesn't, you know, not that big of a leap. Uh, Let's see. First draft of the comedy, we uh, covered that. It evolved, the script, I mean, in the process of rewrites, evolved into a giant anthology movie. So this was just part one of that larger movie. And mm-hmm. the other two chapters became Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, which George yeah. Romero also made. Have you seen those? I haven't. Have you seen them? I have seen both of them, yes. I saw the remake of Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. That, yeah, that is good. Um, what's his name's in it? Luther from the Mission Impossible movies. What's that guy's name? Ving Rames. Ving Rames. I love a Ving Rames. Influenced <laughs> by I Am Legend. I already covered that. And last one. Not an official fact, or maybe it is, but... In this movie, Dwayne Jones wields a Winchester rifle, which presumably was the inspiration for the Winchester Tavern in Shaun of the Dead. I ah, jumped to that conclusion. Ah, very nice. I jumped to that conclusion, but I'm guessing it's correct. That sounds very correct. It does, doesn't it? It's very convincing. What's that word for argument that on its face is very convincing, but isn't actually supported by evidence? I uh, don't know. Well, that's what that was. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> shout outs. I did a couple of these already. Let's see. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, we didn't talk about, uh, so shout out to him and Leonard Nimoy. I think those are the only the only two. I think these only two major ones we missed. Oh yeah, he's great. A rare non-Spock appearance, yeah. A rare non-Spock appearance, and just really good. 
Yeah, I thought he was wonderful. Yeah, he was good. And Jeff Goldblum's always good. He was, you know, he's just kind of being Jeff Goldblum, but there's a reason that we love that. You already did this kind of, but dad, I thought that we could do like a little rating section, uh, okay. as in rate the pairing. And the criteria could okay. be, would you program this as a double feature in your hypothetical art house movie theater? Yes. Cool. Would you? Yeah, absolutely. You never really said, you never really said if you liked uh, Night of the Living Dead. Oh, well, yeah, I did. I enjoyed it. No. Didn't no. mean to dance around no. the question. No, it's okay. Loved it. Honorable mentions. What do you got? I got Assault on Precinct 13. I've never seen John it. John Carpenter's, yeah, John Carpenter's uh, early film uh, before Halloween. Which, uh, you, sorry, you would have paired which with which movie? Both. Both, okay. Or either. Okay. Yeah. Okay. A siege film uh, involves a, a, a gang that, um, uh, you know, as the title indicates, uh, conducts a siege on, uh, on a police station. Mm-hmm. And it's... You know, you watch uh, this with Night of the Living Dead, it would be a perfect pairing. Uh, you could also pair it with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, too, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, although John Carpenter said he actually intended it as a remake kind of of Rio Bravo, um, huh. which is also kind of interesting to think about. I love that. But um, We could do that pairing yeah. sometime. It's not exactly horror, but it uh, it's closer to horror than it is to a uh, John Wayne movie, that's for sure. How about you? Yes. For Night of the Living Dead, obviously Shaun of the Dead, and then Zombieland, I thought would have been fun because Zombieland is like, if if Night of the Living Dead is where the modern zombie movie was born, Zombieland is then kind of reexamining that and in comedy form and looking at all the tropes and, and playing with those. So I think that would have been fun. Plus, I just love that movie. Um, for Body Snatchers, I'm almost mad that I picked Body Snatchers uh, this time because I think this is such a good pairing, but you could put it with The World's End by Edgar Wright. Oh, yeah. That would have been great, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very similar premise. Very different movies. And yeah. uh, lastly, this one is um, not quite so similar, but... Have you ever seen Equilibrium with Christian Bale? Early, no, early 2000s movie. Uh, it's interesting. It's a dystopian world where emotion is outlawed, and it's kind of a Logan's mm. Run scenario. I thought that could be interesting to pair with Body Snatchers as well, because it's about conformity. Okay. What's it called? Equilibrium. Maybe I'll Equilibrium. pick it. Maybe I'll, I'll to, pick it, man. Yeah, since you've never check seen it out. It. I'm going to add this to my, fu- my possible future picks list. You've, you've got one of those too, do you? Oh, yes. Oh, I have yes. one. There's some oh, gems right. on it, let me tell you. Should we announce next week's pick, which is my pick? I mean, not next week's, next episodes. Yeah, we should, if you know what it is. Do you know what it is? And look, I'm not, we don't have a rule regarding vetoes or something, but I would understand if you wanted to veto this movie. All okay? right. Well, not, that you, not because you don't like it, but because we've possibly okay. watched it too many times. But uh, <laughs> I... <laughs> I thought it would be a lot of fun because it's an underrated movie in, I think, both of our opinions. And because next month is November, I thought it would be a lot of fun if we did Tower Heist. Tower Heist. One of my favorites. I think we should do it because if we can, it's underrated. It's probably not widely known or seen. And if we could just... You know, entice one more person to watch Tower Heist and appreciate it for for the delight that it is. Yeah. Uh, we'd be doing yeah. our job. So that's my pick. All right, I'm going to have to give some thought Damn, to my pick. I'll then. be interested to see what you pair with it. No. Very good. I think that All wraps right. it up. Should we do our outro? Let's do the outro. Okay. Go. Okay, outro time. Thanks for listening. Um, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or we should be pretty much everywhere. If you could, we're very much a fledgling podcast. So if you could rate and or review us on your podcast service of choice, that'd be super cool. Um, if you want to tell us what you think of the show, or if you have thoughts or suggestions, or if you just want to tell us, oh, this is a good idea, or if you want to write in and tell us what you would have paired with either of these movies, you can send an email to likemoviespod at gmail.com. And uh, I don't know, if we eventually get a listener base and emails, we can read those on the air or something. Kind of cool. Fantastic. Cool. I think that about wraps it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Take care. Bye.